Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, April 20th, 2014. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator for this morning. The share ID for Friday, April 18th is 6207. That's 6207. This morning, A Vision for You presents a journey to freedom. The whole point of joining Overeaters Anonymous and taking a journey through the steps is to have a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. This is an ability of a person to do, feel, and believe things that they were unable to do, feel, and believe before. With respect to their binge foods, they've been rendered completely neutral. No fight, no temptation. The problem has been removed. Here to speak this morning is Katie G., a recovered compulsive overeater from Boston, Massachusetts. Katie is a loyal servant of Overeaters Anonymous, dedicated to carrying this message of recovery to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And welcome this morning, Katie G. Thanks, Leah. Can you hear me? Yes. Excellent. Good morning. I'm just going to turn on my timer. (laughs) Good morning. This is Katie G. Recovered. Thank you, God, for today, compulsive overeater. And I just want to take a minute to invite God in and onto the line, not that my God is ever away from me, but I don't always take that moment to acknowledge his presence. Hmm. So, um, what I was like, what happened, and what it's like today, I just want to start with a few um, numbers. Um, numbers are um, relevant to my recovery. I've been sober, thank you God, for over 10 years. I came into the Fellowship of Overeaters Anonymous in March of 2004. I, um, I practiced a lot of crazy abstinence um, and was hospitalized and um, have not had an addictive or compulsive bite um, since for about seven years, so since March of 2006. Um, thank you, God. In my adult life, I've been 228 pounds and 110 pounds, um, and I say that because today I'm in a normal-sized body. I weigh within a range of 130, 135 pounds, and that's not a sign of anything other than um, the symptom of my disease, which I've come to understand my My problem with food is actually not a problem with food. It's a problem with life um, because I am a a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. And um, But it is important for me today and every day um, to maintain a normal-sized body. If I were 15 pounds underweight, then that would be a sign that there's something wrong with me spiritually. If I am 15 pounds overweight, then that's a sign that there's something wrong with me because the manifestation of my disease is, you know, using food addictively. 
So I just wanted to start off really quick by reading a um, book um, I wrote um, when I was six years old. It's called Oh No. On the front, there are these fat people, literally. Um, I, drew, I drew pictures with pregnant bellies, and they had um, handcuffs around their hands. And it says, once there was a girl named Katie. Katie loved candy and always wanted it for snack. And this is, again, when I was six years old. For example, Katie one time said, Mom, you know what the doctor said to me, which is a lie. No, what? That I will die if I don't get enough candy. And I just want to, again, say I'm six years old, and um, this is proof to me that I could never eat on the truth of what, of what food would do to me. Well, I don't believe that. And with that, she left the room. Well, that made Katie mad. And then, quote, suddenly, Katie found herself in a strange place where there were only fat people there. But there were candy people everywhere, candy trees, and even candy canes. Also, there were fountains pouring with mouth-watering chocolate, strawberry, and mint chocolate chip drinks. Then out of nowhere came a monstrous lady, parentheses, she was also fat. She said, my dear child, what shame came to you to be trapped? And then Katie drew, I drew a picture of Katie on her knees saying, Shaking, Katie said, I don't know. Well, then we will have to find out now. And with those words, Katie found herself begging to go home, saying, please, may I go home? I never will eat candy again. Please. Well, I guess so, but never let us catch you again eating candy. And with that, Katie found herself at home again. And that's the end of my book. But I, I, bring, I, I bring this in because um, as, as a young girl, um, I was in bondage to food. I literally... Um, I, I, I remember my earliest memories are feeling like it wasn't okay to be in my skin, right? It was unsafe to be in my skin. There was something wrong with me. And the first lies I heard myself telling, I didn't know it, but it was that if I had what you had, I wouldn't feel the way you feel. How do I know that this was going on for me? Because I was in constant fantasy. Can I be the neighbors? Can I be my cousins? Can I be this person? Can I be that person? I wanted anything but to be in my own skin. And so I turned to food at a really young age. I used um, anything that would give me what the big book calls a sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking that first bite, bites that we see others taking without impunity, which is without consequence. And I want to know that it's that sense of ease and comfort, right? It wasn't the actual food that I was fantasizing about. It was this idea that I could have this food. This, I remember being in elementary school and food was my happy thought, right? Like I would be sitting in class. Everybody else would be, you know, participating, hanging out with other kids. But I, I felt that I was different. I separated myself. Because I had this constant ticker tape parade of you're not good enough, they don't like you, look at them, look at, look at you. I was, I, I was dominated by, you know, selfishness. If you looked at me like that, then you must be thinking bad thoughts about me, right? And so I'm separating myself. I'm never in the present moment. I'm this little kid looking for people to make me feel better and to feel better in my own skin. And I wrote this book about this girl who, number one, you know, um, when I started really doing a lot of eating, I, I was filled with lies about myself about what the consequences would be about the food, 
right? And when I put that food in my mouth, I had all of this shame because of the things I did with it. But it was also my happy thought. So I came to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous not understanding that food was not my problem. It was the only solution I ever knew. So as a little girl, I was constantly using food. I used purple diamond top. I used whatever I could get, whatever external solution that I could get to escape from what was a very uncomfortable existence. Um, you know, and, and I was obsessed. Um, I would use food, and then I was obsessed with being thin. Because another lie I told myself was that if I'm thin, I'll be okay. And what does okay mean? I'll get my stuff. I'll be away from the family I'm in. I'll have the friends that I need to have. I'll have the, the boyfriend that I need to have. Um, and so I did a lot of uncontrolled eating, you know. Like I'm not here to just share my food a lot, but it's important to describe this unhealthy relationship with food, um, you know, this obsession about it. I, um, I went on my first diet in the seventh grade and then bought a pair of jeans and they fit. And my mom said, you know, don't buy clothes that fit. Why? Because, you know, she knew, she's one of us, she, she knew that, um, you know, every period of controlled eating, the book tells me, was inevitably followed by still less control which led to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. What does that mean? I go on a diet, right? I'm controlling the food, but I can only control it for so long. The minute I put those food back into my mouth, it sets up an uncontrollable craving for more. And I was obsessed. How could I eat like other people? The great obsession of every abnormal eater, right? is to control and enjoy my eating. Can I chew like her? Can I go on this diet? Can I do this? Um, you know, and can I get a tapeworm so I can be thin? And I went to many lengths looking to fix the food, looking to fix my body, thinking that if I can fix my body, I will be okay. Um, I, I, I finally got what I thought was the cure. I was anorexic in high school. I just stopped eating. I was starving myself, and at 110 pounds, I was just as sick as when I was 228 pounds. Um, I got into college, and I started a lot of animal eating. People ask, you know, in the, in the program, you know, what's your, what's your drug of choice? Hey, uh, what do you have, right? I need more. I am this, like, that of needing more without God. And I can't find God in my church, not because God's not there, but because I am blocked. When I was using food, food was my drug. I put that food into my mouth. So I entered college. I changed my name from Katie to Kat because Kat, Katie was a fat girl name, right? So I'm going to have a geographic. I'm going to go to college, and everything's going to change, and poof, I'll be a new person, right? So I get into college. And again, every period of controlled eating was inevitably followed by still less control, right? So I entered September or whatever into college, and I started to get into real animal eating, right? The kind where I'm getting up in the middle of the night, I'm, I'm chewing, um, I'm eating through boxes and bags of food, I'm falling asleep with food in my mouth, I'm getting up again. And in nine months, I put on 100 pounds. Right, I was eating like an animal. I I um I was drinking at the time. I am an alcoholic as well, and um I I I just I 
I was totally without power, choice, or control. That's what this first step is about, right? Like, I am powerless over food. I put that food into my body, and it sets up an uncontrollable craving. What I didn't understand was that I couldn't stop myself from starting again. Hey, I've done all the diets, Weight Watchers, Diet Center, all of the diets. I apologize. I shouldn't be naming them. All of the diets on the market, right? I did all self-help. Oh, my gosh. I was like, if I could just feel my feelings, if I could just eat and satisfy myself, I'll just, I'll just have one. But I had one, and it was like I, 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 I went crazy, you know. Um, and what food did for me is it shut those that thinking off, right? That crazy thinking, that isolating, that isolating thinking, um, you know. And I kept looking to people, places, and things. At one point, um, I decided I was going to go to Malawi, Africa. Why? Not. I, I told everyone it was because I wanted to help AIDS victims, um, because obviously AIDS is a horrible problem in Malawi, Africa. What did I really want to do? Number one, I wanted to get thin. Third world country, guys. Maybe Katie can escape from this, like, insatiable urge for more in a third world country. Because by then I was up at about 200 pounds. The other thing I wanted to do is I wanted to get away from my most recent hostage. And, oh, by hostage, I mean relationship. <laughs> so I was, that was the other thing I did. Like, when I'm talking about that disease of more, like, I took people as hostages. Like, you thought you were in a relationship with me, but I actually owned you. You know, people um, in the program often call it people-pleasing. I call it control. I need to control you. I'm going to figure you out. I'm going to make you happy so you give me what I need. Again, that big God void. Um, you know, and I wanted to get away from this person. Um, I was, I've, I've done every kind of therapy, Prozac, Bar, Meridia, Clonopin, um, Seroquel, uh, which is an antipsychotic. And PRN meant for me just popping the pills, just popping as many pills as I thought I could get. And, and what I thought the solution was was Katie pulling up my bootstraps. You know, and I did that many times. And I came from a very, you know, um, I, I was very well educated as a young girl. I came, I came from an affluent family where there was a lot of, um, of disease, a lot of alcoholism. But that's not why I was, I am the way I am. I am the way I am because I have this unmanageability. I have this illness, you know, that tells me I don't have it, that tells me I can do it this time, that tells me I don't need God. Um, so I, um, hosp I went through many hospitalizations, um, and I got to a point where I, I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I, I, um, I graduated from college and that was the last functional thing I did, which was pretty, pretty functional. And, um, I was in therapy at the time and I was blaming it on my step, my parents. And, um, and finally I was like, oh, great, there's a 12-step program, right? So I went to Al-Anon, and they say, thank you, God. They say, keep the focus on yourself. And I realized I was drinking alcoholically. Um, somebody offered to take me to the rooms of AA, and I said, I'm Katie, I'm an alcoholic. And when she first offered, um, she took me to the spiritual experience, which says there's one thing that will never fail to keep you in everlasting ignorance, and that is contempt prior to investigation, which is, you know, disdain, like um, putting off, saying, oh, that's not me. And I was like, who are you calling ignorant? So thank God I went to my first AA meeting and have been sober. 
um, since that time. And that was my final frontier, right? Because as soon as I put down the food, the booze got worse and worse. Um, I mean, excuse me, the booze, the food got worse and worse. Um, I finally came in um, to uh, the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. And, you know, I just didn't want to join a program called Overeaters Anonymous. I thought it was the unsexiest, uncoolest, I mean, come on, give me like cocaine, anonymous, whatever. Like what I do with the food is so sexy, right? Like when I was in college falling asleep with the food in my mouth, getting up and calling in, sorry guys, calling in fat to work. And I literally mean fat. I mean that I put my foot on the, on the floor and it hurts because the, my feet are so swollen with salt, right, from all the food I've been eating. Um, and I, um, so anyway, I joined um, Overeaters Anonymous, and I came in um, to a fellowship called um, the 90-Day Program. And um, what 90-Day did for me is it provided me with a food for, with a food format. And I know that there's not, there's a lot of controversy around what works, what doesn't. Obviously, we are in a 12-step program, right? And I completely understand that. However, for me, I needed a, food, a clean and clear food program that took away all the guessing. The main problem of my disease is in my mind, right? That's what the book tells me. I cannot differentiate the truth from the false. And I came in, um, and I, I mean, I was fighting. I mean, I, I didn't want to put down foods, um, and I didn't know how to discover what was and was not, you know, uh, my drug. Like, I just would use anything. That's the kind of low-bottom eater I am. You put, a, you put a thing of carrots in front of me, I'll eat the whole thing. Um, so what the 90-Day Fellowship did for me is it gave me a very clean black-and-white food program. You know, and if I were a cocaine addict, I wouldn't use cocaine in any form at all. Um, and I, I needed a very clear way of saying, okay, this is not using food at all. And I had, that was the only way I could take step one because people would say, oh, put this down, put that down. And I would be like, no, I need that. And people would say, well, you know, and then they say, do you have a problem with it? And I'd say, no. And they'd say, oh, well, then just put it down. So I had today, you know, and, and since coming into the 90-day food format, I, I have a very clean, you know, food. And I know when I'm abstinent and I know when I'm not abstinent. And being very black and white about that is very important to me because this disease took everything. And so I came into the 90-day food format and, um, you know, the book is filled with um, thoughts about how my, my mind can't fix me. You know, um, on page XXXI, it says the patient made his own diagnosis and deciding his situation hopeless had hidden in a deserted barn to die. That's my best thinking. On a good day, you know, without God, I'm like, you know what, I can't do it. I'm going to hide in a deserted barn. And, you know, they talk about, I'm a chronic food addict. I can never use, safely use food in any form at all. And once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile upon them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Right? And so I put down the food and my life became colorful. Why? Because I, because I didn't have a God. I came into the, into the Overeaters Anonymous, and I got a diet, and I started looking for God. But I was looking for him 
in external sources, right? And I didn't understand that step one, section B, that my life is unmanageable, that unmanageability is actually an internal unmanageability. So the fact that my life was falling apart around me and that I was being fired from jobs and that I was having bad relationships and that I was I couldn't find myself and I was frequently um, you know, in tears all the time, that that is external unmanageability. But that even on a good day, my life is unmanageable because I keep I kept looking to others to fix me, and that's it. it I, no human power, right? The ABCs of this program are a: I am powerless over food, and I cannot manage my own life. B: That no human power, and C: That God can and will as He has thought. But what I did in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous is I stayed abstinent very cleanly, which is an amazing thing, and it has nothing to do with anything I could do on my own. And I continue to plow through people. I am a hammer. I am a skunk without God. I go through and I find you, and I need you to make me feel better. And if you don't, watch out, because I'm going to help you figure out that you're wrong, and you should be making me feel better. So I would negotiate with sponsors about my food. I would start eating again. Sharing at meetings was all about my ego. I would make hundreds of phone calls. I would eat and dial. That's what they call it in AA, drink and dial. I would eat and dial. Like I'd just call over, who's going to fix me this time? Who's going to fix me that time? Who's gonna... So I took step one, section A. But as we talk about so often, this is a 12-step program. And only step one, section A, that's the perfect, that's an opportunity that I can be absolutely clean and clear and black and white. I do not understand the language of slipping, and I'm a little bit abstinent, right? In Boston, we say we're either abstinent or we're not. We're either pregnant or we're not. That's just the way it is, black and white. And it's not because I'm some great person, but it's because of the, the places that food has taken me. So... Um, I, I took step one, section A, and I'm, I, and I'm making other people my God, and I'm looking. Um, I, I decided I needed a relationship, and so I'm having relationships with ma a married man. And I'm standing at the front of the 90-day room and saying, I'm abstinent and grateful. Thank you, God. And I'm in a relationship with this guy, and I'm having everyone co-sign that, that it's okay for me to be in this relationship with this guy. You know, and my money, I'm, I'm going on money vendors. So I remember at one point I, I had been fired from another job, and I went and spent $1,000 in one hour on suits for a job that I didn't have, looking for human powers, right, looking for someone to fix me and, and making, make me feel better. Um, so anyway, moving forward, and um, I apologize. I don't mean to speak out of turn about um, any uh, – any food format uh, suggestion in, in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, so anyway, so I am, um, I am not working the steps. And um, I did a lot of destruction. I was sponsoring, and I um, didn't know how to sponsor. I had no guidance on how to sponsor. Um, and finally, ultimately, eating became a step up from how I felt about myself. And what I mean by that is that my thinking got so bad that I turned back to the food because I didn't know where else to go. Um, and I didn't, I had no, I had no choice. I was hanging on with life preservers and I had no choice in my mind but to pick up 
um, the food and broke my abstinence uh, in Ovaries Anonymous. And I know that there's a lot of shame with that. Um, at the same time, I um, started going to big book step study meetings in Boston, and um, that's where they study the, you know, just like we do on our morning meeting. It's just a study of the book. And um, I heard a message of depth and weight, right, where people were talking about how they came into the room, the 12 step rooms, and they didn't know, um, and they stayed sober or clean from their um, their drug of choice for a while and um, and that their life became completely unmanageable. And so I started um, on the journey, I started writing, doing some four-step writing with a sponsor, but I was only writing 15 minutes a day. And my life started to get worse because, you know, for me, I have, uh, I, I'm a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. And if I don't have a God in my life, um, I'm going to continue to make people, places, and things God. Um, and I, I, um, I kept looking for something uh, more. And my life was this quest to fill myself with food, hostage friends, boyfriends. Um, you know, on page 16, it talks about this oasis as um, that I am looking for. It says, we need, we need look no further than utopia. Um, in the program of recovery, the 12 steps. And my sponsor had talked to me at the time about how my life had been about chasing this mirage, that I'm going to be okay once I have all this stuff, right? But really, I'm okay as God created me. Um, so my life continued to get worse. I, um, I had four jobs um, in a course of about two years as a manager um, in hospital administration. I didn't want to go back to school because I was too afraid and I thought that I was too stupid, that I couldn't, there was no way that I could do, um, there was no way that I could do school because I, I couldn't handle it. You know, I, I was too afraid. And so I had to make a position as a manager work. Um, and uh, finally, I got fired from the fourth job um, and didn't really understand what was going on, except that people started, people were coming to me. They're pulling me into the office and saying, Katie, do you know you can't talk to people that way? You can't micromanage people that way. Um, you know, and I, I, I would go home at night and cry on the phone and, and not know that um, my problem was I had no God and I kept looking to other people to, to make me feel better. Um, so finally, after being fired from a fourth job, I, 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 I didn't know what else to do. And I got um, a woman um, who had the, the light of God shining through her. And she said she would um, take me through the steps. And so we went um, over, the, over the course of a weekend. We read through the first 63 pages. Um, and I was devastated. I saw my disease not only when I was using food throughout my life, um, picking up the food not because I want to but because I had to because my, uh, my thoughts about myself were so negative, my thoughts about my life were so negative, and because I was restless, irritable, and discontent. I'm like that dog, you know, circling around and around and around for a place to be. And all I knew was that I shouldn't, I, I, I had this inner feeling of I should not be here. Let me go over there and then I get over there and I'm still not okay. You know, Malawi, Africa, still not okay. Um, 
so, um, and I will stress at this time, I, I did have my, my own version, um, a surrendered version of a, of a food plan that I was abstinent with. Um, and, you know, my sponsor talked to me directly and we, um, we went through the first 63 pages and, and I saw how, all, how really the main problem centers in my mind. Um, and that, you know, my sponsor promised me that if I were to do the work, I too could have a relationship with God like she, like she did. Um, uh, and we went over all of the delusions that I had, um, you know, and, and that I, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and a, and a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety. Um, so... And then we came to step two, came to believe that a power greater than me that can restore me to sanity. And thank God we've been going over that a lot in our morning meeting. And this was really about me just seeing the insane ways in which I tried to manage my life. At one point, you know, I saw that story about the jaywalker manifest in my own life. I saw, you know, this jaywalker keeps going out and playing in traffic. And what was so important for me at the time to see was not just how I was a jaywalker with the food, but how I was a jaywalker in my own life, how I kept getting up and playing in traffic with the same relationships, with the same um, job that I was in. And, you know, the, we agnostics talked about being crushed by a self-imposed crisis. I could not postpone or evade. I had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or he is nothing. What is, is he or is he not? And my sponsor looked at me, and, and I, I was so completely devastated. I didn't know who God was, but I knew that I could no longer play God in my life because my life was falling apart. Um, in romance, uh, I talked a lot about romantic relationships in my family. I mean, I, I just, I would pick fights with my mom before she came to see me so that I could purposefully, you know, tell her not to come and tell her how much I hated her. Um, you know, and, and, and friendships, I would call people, I didn't have friendships. The people I had in, in program were my own, only friendships and I would call people and I would interview them about their program because I didn't know how to rightly relate with other people. I didn't know how to be on the same keel as other people. Um, so I saw, you know, that, yeah, I, 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 my life is completely unmanageable. I am completely insane. Um, you know, and, and that I had no idea, you know, every time I would realize people would say, well, why are you eating again? And I, I didn't really know. I didn't understand that I was without defense against the, the, that first bite. Um, and the most amazing part about going through those first 63 pages with my sponsor, she promised me these vital spiritual experiences, these changes that would happen if I would take the steps. Um, you know, we talked about the dishonest thinking that I had, the um, living life in the bedevilments and making heavy going of life, um, you know, looking for all these human powers. So after exploring those first 63 pages, I was at, well, I was actually at page uh, 60 where we looked at the ABCs, which I referenced before, and she asked me, am I a compulsive overeater? Can I not manage my own life? Do I believe that no human power and see, you know, do I believe that God can and will if he was sought? And I was, it's just being convinced we were at step three. I was completely convinced. 
but not because I had some white light experience, but because I saw that my life run on self was no longer working. And again, I'll stress, you know, during this time, you know, thank God I, I, was, I was clean from the food and that was an important piece of my recovery because I wanted to make sure that there was nothing else, again, blocking me from God. Um, and my sponsor taught me about, we talked about, you know, selfishness, self-centeredness. That is the root of my problem um, and how I was driven by a hundred forms of fear and that the purpose of these steps was to identify the resentment, the fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity that drove me to try and manage my life through other people. So when I took step three, she really step three was just a commitment to follow through with more action, to follow through with steps four through nine and to help get onto the other side and help other women because she said to me, if you want to take step three, you have to move immediately through step four through nine because you don't know what your thoughts and your will in your life is. You don't know what your thoughts and actions are. So we went through um, the resentments. Um, I had I wrote out a list of over 262 resentments against people, and um, you know major themes against people were the lie. You know we look at where are we selfish, dishonest, self-centered, and afraid, self-seeking, and afraid. And the biggest lie with my resentments was if I had what you had, I would not feel the way you I feel. So I was resentful at all my family sponsors, bosses, girls growing up, God, me. You know, I thought I was rotten. I thought I was decayed. And I was resentful at God because he never gave me what I wanted. Um, I, was, I listed 56 organizations because I didn't want to follow rules. And if you were wrong, and if you tried to make me follow your rules in this organization, you know, you were wrong. Did you not realize who I am? You know, I would call cable companies and I'd want them to give me an exception on the bill because I'm KDG. You know, don't you know that? And principles. You know, I um, you know, I wanted everyone to treat me special. I didn't, I didn't want to have to um, follow the speed limit. I believed that women with big boobs were better than me. And I started to do what we call the turnarounds, which is when I take a look at my anger, my resentment. Um, from an entirely different angle, right? So I list out who am I resentful at? Um, you know, I'm, I'm resentful at people who are um, picky eaters who talk about my food choices. Affects, what does it affect? My self-esteem, how I feel about myself, my security, my ambition, how I interact with others, my personal relations, my pride, and it causes me fear. Where am I selfish? So what does, like, three-year-old Katie want? I need this person to talk, not talk about my food, to affirm me, to praise me without regard to her wants, needs, or capabilities. Where am I dishonest? So what's the lie I'm telling myself? That she's unkind, that I'm a victim. What is the truth? I can't control others. I'm not a victim, and I'm taking her behavior personally. What, what, it, what behavior am I engaging in to get her to do something different? I'm angry. I character assassinate. I judge her food. Because if I think you're judging me, I'm going to judge you first. I'm going to reject you first. And most significantly, what is my fear? Other people's opinions. Again, as I talked about previously, I was angry at people who were married, thin, popular in high school because I was driven by the lie. If I had what you had, I wouldn't feel the way I feel. 
I would resemble people who worked for me. I judged them as less than. I, I saw things in them that I hated in myself, so I talked down to them. I talked like a teacher. You know, when I was doing the turnarounds and took an entirely different angle, I saw that people, the whole world was not wrong. That actually I was walking around with a chip on my shoulder. The problem was me. I destroyed entire friendships because a friend of mine went through a hard time and then she stopped going through the hard time and I had no use for her anymore because she wasn't making me feel better because I couldn't control her any longer. I looked at, um, you know, my sex conduct. Um, I looked at, you know, and and my sex conduct, it's not really about sex. It's about the manifestations of self, right, because selfishness, self-centeredness, that's the root of my problems. And what did I do in my sex conduct? I used people like I used food. I believe a lie that I'm only okay if I'm in a relationship. So maybe, you know, I remember thinking I was 24 and I was in a relationship with someone in a place where I didn't want to be living with a relationship I didn't want to be in. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just make this work. Um, you know, I had misplaced resentments. I hated myself, so I treated people badly. I was angry at God because he didn't give me what I wanted when I got abstinent, when I was thin. I was like, where is, where is my stuff, God? And my selfishness blocked me from God. Um, and I kept doing what I wanted to do every day. And then I listed um, about 200 fears. Now, there aren't really, obviously, I was taught there really are not that many fears, but what did I do? I listed them in black and white. And I wrote out, what's the first time I had the fear? How, do I, how did I perpetuate? And what would be different if I trusted and relied on God? So a fear, that I'm too stupid to do school. How did I perpetuate? I never tried. I, um, I cheated on a test in fifth grade. I told myself I was too stupid to handle a harder degree in college. I never pursued graduate school. What would be different if I trusted and relied on God? I would move forward. I would ask God, I would ask God to see him, see myself as he sees me. I would um, take a risk, you know, and believe that, you know, if I fail, I'm still moving forward, and my security doesn't come from my performance, um, you know. And and then after I uh, wrote up my sex conduct, I I wrote out a sex ideal, and I believed that that was a Match.com profile when I first came into the rooms. I thought it was like, okay, what do I want? But actually, it was who am I going to be? And my sponsor said to me, Katie, you need to stop focusing on who you want and start, start focusing on who is the woman that you're going to be today. How are you going to be as a friend, as a partner, as a, as a, as a daughter, as a sister? Um, you know, and then I, I, um, I took step five with my sponsor, and I felt other promises coming true for me. You know, I, could, I was alone. I could, and at perfect peace and ease, like that, those, those feelings of self-hatred were removed. Because God could started breaking me open and entering into my heart. Because I wasn't using food and I, and I wasn't a victim of the world. I wasn't so angry anymore. Um, and I took steps six and seven. And for me, the first time I took them, they were just kind of yes, yes steps. I was entirely ready and I humbly asked God to remove my, my uh, defects of character because I was empty at the time, right? Like after you go through all that writing, for me, I had been writing every day for an hour, and I and I, I was like, yeah, I'm totally ready to have God take everything away from me, root and branch. Go ahead, God. Um, and I've come back to step six and seven many, many times after having gone through this step because there's a lot more work for me to do, right? Because the, the disease comes back up. 
um, steps eight and nine. Um, I made my list. I had it in my resentment list, and I made over 140 amends. Um, they didn't all go the way I wanted to. My mom didn't want me to make amends to her. She still hasn't wanted me to, but I've been able to be a better daughter to her. Um, you know, I did my amend work on her time frame, and it was really important for me to stop apologizing. You know, but my sponsor was very specific about the wording that we used together. Like, not, I'm sorry, how about I was wrong? I can imagine if I were your, you know, if I were in your place, Dad, and, and you know, you, I was giving you um, all this support and you treated me like that, I would feel horrible. And when I was making my amends to my father, he said, it's okay, you know, we were doing this wrong and that wrong. And I said, no, Dad, because I'm disregarding the other person entirely, right? I said, Dad, I, I wasn't the kind of daughter I should have been, and I regret my behavior. You know, I, I didn't make a direct amends to the... Um, man I had an affair with, but I made financial donations to a program called Divorce Care. Um, I made amends, a lot of amends around my job. I made amends to the women who I had fired. I made amends to a woman who I helped get her denied off of um, of, um, of having um, compensatory pay given to her when she was fired. Um, you know, and, and now I live in steps 10, 11, and 12. And um, I wanna, I wanna say specifically, there are there are key points in the book that it talks about. You know, it promises us that when we are going to use again, um, and some of those places are, you know, when we fail to um, enlarge on our spiritual life, and that's living in step 10, 11, and 12, right? When we're not truly sorry about our sex conduct, when we don't make all our amends. There are some really serious step promises and some really serious step consequences, which is why it's so amazing we all get together, you know, every single day to talk about the work because I don't want to go back to eating ever again. I was living such a deadly life. And eating is, is, can be very close if I don't um, continue to live in steps 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis. I have been placed in a, a place of neutrality around the food. I am safe and protected. I can touch food that's not my food. I'm in constant, I am in regular contact with God. Um, but I want to talk specifically for me about steps 10, 11, and 12 and what they mean to me, right? So page 84, step 10 is a walking around step. That's what we talk about. Um, that's what my sponsor taught me. Um, it talks about we continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. And, you know, this happens to me frequently, not the way it used to. I mean, I used to, um, you know, if you weren't performing the way I thought you should, I, I would fly off the handle. Um, but like the other day, you know, my landlord came into my house and he was he was angry with me for for um, ramping up the electricity bill, and I was immediately defensive. And I was like, you know, with all due respect, sir, you know, that hasn't been on the line, that, that hasn't been on very long. And, and I, I was like, who does this guy think he is? Um, and I was angry. And um, I knew immediately um, he, he, we had words, and we had serious words. And I, I went into the other room, and I asked God for help 
Um, and I ended up calling my sponsor actually, and I did a turnaround, and I was in tears. And where was I selfish? I'm re- I'm resentful at my landlord, the cause. He came into my house and he pointed out that the electric bill was too high. What does it affect my self-esteem, how I feel about myself, my pride, my personal relations? I'm angry with him, and it causes me fear. All of a sudden, I'm unsafe, right? Where am I selfish? I want Carla to leave me alone, to realize I'm KDG. I don't have to pay the electric bill, and he should just pay it. Where is I dishonest? What am I telling myself? That I'm a victim. Poor Katie. That he's singling me out, right? That it's all about me. What's the truth? It's not about me. My electric bill was high. Katie was, Katie was unmindful. Bill talks about it in, in his story how he's naturally unmindful of the welfare of others, right? I was naturally unmindful of my landlord. I would leave the electricity on. He's right. Where was I self-seeking? I was pissy. I was character assassinating him in my head. I was judging him. Fatty McFaster were words that were coming in my head. And I was afraid. Right? I was afraid of his opinion of me. And when I did that, I was able to see that he, like me, is spiritually sick. Right? The the sick man's prayer. And just a little side note about the sick man's prayer. When I first read it, my sponsor pointed out to me that part of the sick man's prayer is he, like me, he, like me, is spiritually sick. Right? And I missed the like me part for a very long time. Because I, I would just say, hey, yeah, he's sick. Yeah, he's sick. He needs a lot of help. But what I saw from doing the turnaround with my sponsor is that I'm exactly like him. He's driving around supervising what I'm doing with the electricity. I supervise my neighbors all the time. It's like, ooh, who's here now? What are they doing? Who are they dating? What's going on? Why aren't they paying attention to me? You know? And so I could laugh. And immediately all that anger dissipated. So it was so, it was like, you know, that resentment that, you know, before I did the work would have ruined my day, I was able to start over again, right? So I have a bunch of Step 10 buddies, and if you know me, you know that I call and I do the Step 10. I do the turnaround because I have, I, um, and then I, after I talked to my sponsor, I turned my thoughts to who I can help. Let me get out of myself, right? Because death of self, that's what this work requires. Um, and I, and I, I have ceased fighting anything and everyone, you know, I, I don't walk around this, this world anymore with a hammer trying to get, trying to steal what I can get from the world. Um, I will also share, um, moving on to step 11, 86 begins the formal, um, when we retire at night, there is a formal written part of step 11 that my sponsor taught me. Um, you know, step 11 is thought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. And my sponsor said to me that when Bill was do, was writing um, this book, meditation actually didn't have the meaning that it has now. Meditation actually meant to meditate, as if to meditate on a, on a battle, right, to think about. Um, and, and, and so I have a sheet that I do formal written turnarounds from where I didn't clean up, step 10. And I look at where it went, where was I resentful, selfish, dishonest, they're afraid. Do I owe an apology? Have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another person at once? And for me, sometimes that means, like, is the food lighting up for me? You know, I have been placed in a position of neutrality, but I have to be honest and say, I need to make sure that food isn't um, slipping back in and doing something for me that, that it shouldn't be doing for me. 
um, you know, because I'll, I'll, I'll want, you know, a certain food and, and, and I'll be uncomfortable in my own skin and I'll be thinking, oh, maybe, you know, maybe this is a better idea, you know, and maybe that makes me not recovered. But for me, like my, my honesty around that, I just write it out. I say, you know what, I started looking to the food and this, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to clean that up now. Um, and I, I, about a year ago, um, I stopped, I hadn't been doing a formal step 11. And um, I, I, I've been in graduate school, and, and what slowly started to happen to me is that food thoughts were coming in um, because all the resentment and the fear and the selfishness, I was plagued. And I stopped having so much time to call other people. And I stopped having time to work with other women, right, which is my primary purpose now that I'm living in step 10, 11, and 12. God has restored me to a life of sanity because I'm, you know, and, and what am I going to do for God today? And Katie, the Katie show was, was dominating. And I'll never forget about a little over a year ago, I had this night and I was going to eat. And it is only the grace of God that I didn't. I kept waking up every hour and I would be like, okay, I'm going to eat if my sponsor didn't email me back on my 11th step. Because at the time she was doing that. And, um, I check my email and there it was. And I say, okay, I'm going to eat if, you know, I don't get a text message from someone. And I know these are all human powers, but for me that night, you know, it was, it was God working through me. And I had a newcomer text me and there she was. And I was like, I'm not going to eat just for another hour, right? And so I'm on a life and death mission with my step 11, with my willingness to question daily, my willingness to be willing because um, although I am recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, I'm a human being, and, I, and I'm an addict, and I have unhealthy thinking, um, you know, uh, of not getting what I wanted. And since that time, um, with my, with, with, uh, since that night, thank you, God, I, I do my step 10. I live in step 10. I turn them around. I, I, go, I make phone calls, or I'll, I'll tell someone in class, hey, you know what? I'm really judging this person right now, you know, and I know the judger is coming on because my, my worst insult is to call someone fat, you know, and as soon as I start judging someone, it's because I'm, I'm disconnected from God and I'm in fear that you're judging me, so I'm going to judge you first, um, you know, and living in step 12, you know, there's uh, helping others. The book says it's the foundation stone of my recovery. A kindly act once in a while is not enough. And for me, I find the more inconvenient the phone calls, the better. You know, because if I'm telling myself something's inconvenient, it's because, you know, the manifestations of self is coming, are coming in. Um, you know, and, and, and my job today is to give maximum service to God. Um, and, and that's what my sponsor told me. Like, my commitment to, in step three was to do the work and get to the other side so I can help women. Um, you know, I love in step 12, it talks about trying to increase, it, where, you know, where should we go? Should we avoid um, public places where they're serving our binge foods or what have you? I don't find that necessary. You know, today I'm going over to, to be with my family, and there will be tons of food that's not mine. And I say, thank you, God, that's not my food, it's poison. I don't even see it. Um, you know, and, and, and I try and go enthusiastically. You know, how can I not withdraw from life today? How can I increase the pleasure of my family? 
because now my job is to be at a place where I may give maximum helpfulness to others. So, you know, today I know that my recovery is not dependent on other people. It is dependent on my relationship with God. And the only way to stay in right relationships with God is to practice abstinence and the 12 steps. Um, my favorite line out of this book is when we look back, we say we saw that the things that came to us when we placed ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world no matter what your present circumstances. Job or no job, wife or no wife, house or no house. You know, it's okay. Like we can't stay abstinent based on external things. And today, you know, after I did, after I took that fifth step the first time, you guys, I felt like a grinch. Because when the whole world is not wrong, I'm not wrong either. And I started feeling compassion because I realized that, you know, other people suffer too. And I looked at how, how I treated others and I could feel their suffering, right? And I stopped looking, I stopped fighting other people. And today food is, is not an option. It's, I don't even consider it. I'm not obsessed with my body weight. I'm not obsessed with exercise, although that is something that comes up on my step 11, you know, because I start getting in fear. And my go-to fear, you know, is not always God, not every time. I wish I could tell you it is. But what I do know is that today God has picked me up by my roots and replanted me in a new soil. And I have to water and nourish that soil every day. So before that second surrender, right, I came in, I came into a food fellowship that, that got me sort of abstinent, and then I, you know, I, I couldn't do anything because I chose not to work the steps. I didn't know. I didn't know how to do them, right? And I stayed, and I stayed crazy. If you're in these rooms and you're wondering if you're abstinent or you're, um, or, or you're, or you haven't done the steps and you're going crazy, yeah, me too. Because I kept looking for people, places, and things to, to fix me. And today, you know, I get up in the morning, I don't want to die, nor do I want to kill other people, <laughs> you know? And I, I, um, the amends, I, I mean, I made so many amends. I mean, my relationship with my dad, like, I mean, this is a man who I hated for years, and I punished him for leaving my family, you know. And the man, he looks at me today, and he's totally, like, proud of me, you know. And, I, and that's not why I love him. I love him because he's a really nice guy. And I can go and I can be the daughter that I never thought I could be, and I can be happy for others. I mean, I, I have friends who have boyfriends today, and I'm not in a relationship right now, which is fine. I can be happy for other people. Um, you know, and today I do, I practice the tools every day. Um, the tools are not, you know, they're not, they don't necessarily bring me freedom, but what they do is like staying connected with you guys and getting up and getting on my knees and asking God for help just because that's my personal spiritual practice. Whatever you need to do is, is, is what, what you do with God. Um, surrendering my food every day is part of my recovery process. It helps me stay clean with the food. Um, that's what I have found, having a clean um, program work that, that's what I found works for me, but I don't know what's best for everybody. Um, I'm just sharing my experience. And, and living in the steps, right, like getting up and getting on a meeting and hearing people who've, like, had these lives where, you know, they, 
you know, we've been given the opportunity to live multiple lives in one lifetime, or at least I have. I should be dead with the affairs that I had, with going to Malawi, Africa, with the men I slept with. I should not be alive. Um, you know, and, and during the day, looking for ways for how I can be of maximum helpfulness to others. And, and many of you know I'm about to graduate from a master's degree program, and I don't say that because this master's degree makes me okay. Because every time that I would have all these fears, I would do the fear turnaround, right? And the fear turnaround, the first time I had the fear, I, I talked about. And what's different today? I walk through the fears. Because what I know today is that even if I fail, guess what? I have a place that I can go to this morning where I can say, you know what? It's Sunday morning. I know where I was yesterday. I know where I was last night. There are not rappers all around me. I don't want to die. I know who I slept with. Nobody's calling me and telling me that they hate me, you know, um, and, and I want to help others today, you know, and I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong. I have an amend that I need to um, clean up that came up the other day. Somebody loaned me their study notes, and I, I have used the study notes. I highlighted them. I acted like they were my own, and now she wants them back. You know, so I get the opportunity to show up and say, hey, you know what, I was wrong. Um, so I have talked a really long time. Um, I don't know, uh, I don't have um, everybody's answers. I, I am an expert in my own failures, all the things that I've really done wrong in um, program looking for in, and in my life looking for other people to fix me. And I can say today that, like, it's okay to be in my own skin today and that is a privilege, you know, and I, I don't want to die and my my weight's not looking like a ticker tape parade. Um, but most importantly, I have a connection with God. And I've heard this analogy, like, it's like we're a sailboat, right? And um, um, the sails, they get, they we're sailing along and then a huge wind comes, right? And we get puffed to the side and the riggers, those ropes pull us back in. And my ropes are living in step 10, continuing calling others and saying, hey, can I do a turnaround? Step 11, um, you know, doing that formal step 11 for me at night has, has proved to be um, a foundation stone of my recovery. And then, you know, taking quiet time with God and listening for his direction um, and, and, and expanding on my spiritual life every day and then helping others and practicing the principles you know, not gossiping and slandering other people. I don't recognize my life today. I don't recognize the woman that I am. A friend of mine took pictures of me yesterday, and um, I don't recognize that that's me, you know, and not because I'm some pretty woman, but because the lights are on, you know, because you know, uh, I'm, I'm okay in my own skin today, and I know that I'm a woman of honor, dignity, and grace who makes mistakes, Um so, you know, it's a privilege. I, I really want to thank um, the the people who asked me to speak. It's a privilege and an opportunity to learn every day. Um, and it's a privilege and opportunity to have a place to go because I never had a place to go or a place I belonged. I was separating myself the whole time. Um, and uh, I want to thank you guys for helping me learn um, through the big book every day, you know, what how to be of maximum helpfulness to God and to give me a primary purpose. Because I do have a purpose today, and it's that um, stay abstinent and help others by working the steps. Um, so with that, I pass. Thank you so much.
Thank you, Katie G., for sharing with us your miraculous transformation as the result of the 12 Steps of Recovery. Before we open the floor for a question and answer period, Katie G., can you offer some, would you like to offer contact information at this point? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, So my phone number is Eastern Standard Time, and that number is 413-237-5758, and please call anytime. Thank you very much. And now we'll open the floor for question and answer period. If you have any questions you'd like to ask of KDG, star one to unmute and identify yourself, please. Hello, this is Marcia. Hi, this is Anne-Marie. I heard two people, Marcia, I believe, and then Anne-Marie. I just wanted to air your, you know, repeat your phone number again because I didn't get to a pen fast enough. I'll offer that for you. That's 413-237-5758. I only got one digit wrong, but that wouldn't have worked. Okay, thank you, and thank you for your qualification. It was awesome. And your service. Okay, now we'll go to Anne-Marie, please, with a question. Hi. Hi, thank you. This is Anne-Marie. Thanks, uh, Leah, for your service. And Katie, thank you so much for your honesty and um, revealing uh, the true you. And, um, I mean, I hear that over and over through the morning meetings, but um, I really appreciate that. Uh, My question is, um, you you talked about the 10th step, and I was listening, but I kind of, um, my mind went elsewhere at some point, but uh, the third column, um, I have a, you know, a form where it just is like a check mark where, where you know, how did it affect us? And I'm wondering if, um, do you elaborate more on that? Um, did it affect our self-esteem, our pocketbook? Um, do you just do a check mark when you do um, your... Um, well, actually, that's the, that's the fourth step. I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. Um, in that fourth step, do you do just a check mark of how it affected your self-esteem, your pocketbook, your personal relationships, or do you elaborate a little bit more on it and explain how it has affected your self-esteem? That's my question. Thank you. Sure. Um, I appreciate that and just want to say um, I know that there are a lot of different forms out there. Um <clears throat> When I did my fourth step, um, my sponsor gave me the definitions of what self-esteem, security, ambition, personal, sex relations, pride, and causes me fear, um, what the definitions were. We didn't, in my initial fourth step, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about um, what part of me is affected. Um, and, And when I do step 10, which are my turnarounds, right, like, talking about self-esteem, security, ambition. Um, part I don't always go into those areas and elaborate. Um, I know that I have done that in the past. Sometimes I just need to get to the other side of the turnaround and see the truth and the fear um, and do the fear turnaround. So, um, But I know that it is very helpful to talk about, okay, how is this affecting my self-esteem? So how do I feel about myself if my landlord is coming in and talking to me? My security, 
how am I, you know, how am I, how am I feeling right now in terms of, you know, this guy's coming in here and I'm, I'm basing my emotional security on what he's saying to me. Um, you know, my, my personal relations with him. Well, him coming in here and having this, um, me getting a resentment towards him is like you hurt. I was, I was pissy. I character assassinated him in my head and I was disrespectful to him and defensive. Um, and, you know, causing me fear. And so that fear of, you know, I'm not uh, losing what I have or not getting what I want propels and manifests that, um, that resentment further. So when I do step 10, I don't always necessarily write that out or say that out fully. Um, it kind of depends on, on what my time frame is. And, you know, whatever your sponsor has you do is is right. Um, and I, But I don't think you can ever – I don't think there's any – ever anything wrong um, with uh, elaborating on that area? I don't know. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Anne-Marie, for the question. Who's next with a question? This is Nancy. Nancy, go ahead. Hi, Katie. Thank you very much for your service and your story today. Um, very moving. I have a question. I'm kind of new to the work on the steps and stuff, and um, you keep talking about the turnaround, and I know I, I've heard a few times. Can you more cl- more clearly clarify what that means and what that is? Sure. I mean, I don't know if that's something that other people use, um, but that's something that I was taught. So the turnaround is... Um, you list out your resentment, right? And then you are prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle, right? So you're looking at it from um, the other person's point of view. So I've heard it described as going from the defense, you know, like if you say you're in a courtroom, right? You're going from the defense to the prosecutor, right? You're just an entirely different angle. So in my mind, what I was taught was that the turnaround is where we are going through and it's on... Do do uh, page sixty five to sixty seven. Putting out of our own our minds, the others had done. We resolutely looked for our own mistakes, and then those four columns is the turnaround. Where was I selfish? What did I want without regard to the others' wants, needs, or capabilities? Where was I dishonest? So what's the lie I'm telling myself? It may be like cash register dishonesty, but for me it was. The, the, the lies I tell myself are, I'm a victim. This person is personally attacking me. This person loves me. This person, blah, blah, blah. Any, you know, I'm not okay unless this person does this, you know. And I joke with people when they call me. I say, you know, unless you're, if you're a mind reader, come to Boston because I have several exams I need to do. And I need you to read the mind, right? And what's the truth? Like, God is my security. I'm, I'm denying God, you know, his ability to make me feel whole. I, um, and then the self-seeking, you know, what actions am I doing to, to get what I think I need based on this line telling myself. So if you're looking at me funny, right, so I'm resentful, or I'll take this example of my landlord again. I'm resentful at my landlord, the cause. He called me a sinner affect my self-esteem, my security. I won't go through that whole thing. Where am I selfish? I wanted him to treat me. I wanted him to worship me, obey me, um, tell me I'm amazing without regard to his wants, needs, or capabilities. The lie, I'm not okay because he called me a sinner. The truth is 
like he, like me, is spiritually sick. The other truth is that I, I was disobeying. I mean, I was not, I was abusing electricity. Um, and my self-seeking behavior was I, I blew, I was angry. I didn't blow up, but I was angry at him. I took it personally. I was character assassinating him in my head. And what's my fear is his opinion of me, you know, and I'm taking it personally. Now, did he have a right to call me a sinner? Well, it probably wasn't the kindest things that he could have done, but like, whatever, have I, the, another lie is, have I ever done the same thing? Absolutely, I am doing the same thing. Here he is calling me a sinner. I'm sitting there calling him a stalker. You know, like, I, he liked me and spiritually sex. So the turnarounds are looking at it from an entirely different angle. Thank you, Nancy, for the question. Anyone else? Hi, this is Kathy Kay in Boston. Hi, Kathy Kay. Your turn. Hi, Thank you for your service. Katie, it was wonderful to hear you, and I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on your uh, 11-step routines uh, in the morning, throughout the day, and at night. I will, Kathy Kay. Thanks for that question. Um, so if I go to step 11, step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer. Better men than I are using it constantly. Um, my sponsor said to me at that time, I was, I'm still agnostic, and I should pray and meditate. I'm, an, I'm a naturally undisciplined person, and I need direction. So um, for prayer and meditation is asking God to tell me how to live. You know, what's his my what's my what's his intention for me? I, like, I have a new employer, right? So I need to I need to check in with him. So step eleven starts retiring at night, and I have that form which I'm happy to send out to anybody where it constructively reviews the day, and I do my turnaround. Where am I resentful? Um, and I do a whole turnaround on that. Where am I selfish, you know, separate from the turnarounds or as a result of? So, you know, wanting my teacher to call me back immediately. Um, what's the lie? Where was I dishonest? Um, so, like I said, abusing this poor girl's notes that she gave me. Um, and where was I afraid? So, you know, right now um, I have fears about the future. And, um, you know, doing some fear turnaround. So, like, how am I perpetuating this fear, not living in the moment? Um, so then, so I answer all those questions, you know, how was I packing into the stream of life? I don't go into more of a reflection. So that, and then I, um, for me, I then get on my knees because um, that's part of my own spiritual practice. Um, I pray to God. I'm thanking him for the day and for his guidance and direction, and then I go to bed, and then I wake up in the morning, and on awakening, I think about the 24 hours ahead. I consider my plans for the day. I say, God, direct my thinking, and I literally will think through the day. Like, so I'm meditating through the day. I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get up. I'm going to talk to my sponsor. I'm going to talk to my sponsee. I'm going to go on the meeting. I'm going to go to class. And, and then it says, you know, if I... If I uh, don't know what to do, I ask God to give me some guidance and ask him to help me remember that he's the director um, and uh, and make sure that I stay divorced because um, I was married to self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. So I have to stay divorced from those, and I ask God for help with that. Um, so I do meditate on the day coming up, and I, I have some 
of my own mind. I do a lot of mindfulness meditation, and um, that's just part of my spiritual practice that I've I expand on a daily basis. So I do that quiet time. I read some books um, that I have that are AA in literature. Um, and I relax and take it easy, and I ask, I, I ask God to remove the fears that I have and to help me show up no matter what and not be in fear. Um, and then, you know, ask God to help me, um, you know, go through the day for freedom from self-will. I don't make any requests for myself, but I, I pray for others. Um, and, you know, I do have some other prayers that I use. Um, and then there's the PWA step, right? Pause when agitated. Um, so I constantly remind myself I'm no longer running the show. So when am I agitated? Um, so like when I'm sitting in traffic, right? Like my friend, oh, such a beautiful share, right? She said, I called her one day and I'm like, I'm in traffic. And she goes, Katie, you know, usually I just take a breath and say, hey, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? Or like the other day with um my landlord, like I knew the old Katie would have been like, get the out, get the heck out of my house. I would have dropped some f bombs, you know, and then I would have called and rallied the troops. So um, you know, and 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 I didn't, you know, I st- I paused and I said, okay, God, help me, direct my ten- my attention, um. So, and I've heard that the unshakable foundation is self-examination, prayer, and meditation. Um, because in the 1960s, like I said, that meditation, the definition of meditation changed. Um, but what, what Bill was talking about was that focused exercise that a general will meditate a war. So that's how I applied in my life. 10 walking around, 11 retiring at night, um, and, you know, trying to stay through the day. And You know, the other thing is realizing I'm not perfect. I'm not going to do this perfectly. I'm a human, and I'm a a recovered homosexual overeater. Um, But it says, what I love is it says, um, were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, um, or afraid? You know, and I find that I do at least one turnaround every day. You know, even on the best of days, I've got someone I'm judging. Sorry, I have a judging mind. It's not the way it used to be. I mean, it used to be a ticker tape parade of judgment all the time, and it's not anymore. It's a lot, a lot quieter. Um, so I, 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 I move towards progress. And I also, you know, I'll integrate steps six and seven. You know, when I've got a particular character defect, that's the best part, and I'll just close with this. The coolest thing about proper inventory, so step 10 during the day and step 11 at night, is you guys call me and you're like, we're like, what's going on? What are you working on? And I'm like, oh, I've been working on control. I have had control coming up every single day and every single night, and this is how it's manifesting. And then you guys tell me, oh, well, I just did another fourth step on control, and this is how I did it. And so I'm about to do that with my sponsor because I see that control, which is obviously fear, um, is coming up for me. So I'm looking for ways to, to grow spiritually because if I'm not growing, I'm, I'm going to pick up the food. And So anyway, that's, that's how I stay active in my Step 10 and 11. Thank you, Kathy Kay, for that question. Anyone else with questions? Hello? Or KDG, yes. I heard Hi. people. Hi, this is Sandy in Delaware. Sandy and Lisa, is that it? Yes. Okay. Sandy and Lisa, anyone else? 
Okay, let's start with Sandy, please. Go ahead. Hi, thank you. Uh, I'd love to hear a little more about how and when you use meditation and, like, some ideas about a good place to find appropriate meditation. Thanks. Sure. I mean, this isn't – so this is an area that I have uh, enlarged on my spiritual life, and there's not – there's there's not a wrong way to do it. Um, there's a lot of not conference approved literature, um, and I'd be happy to to provide some guidance for you um, on that because there are CDs and there are books and all that, um, but they're not you know part of our our program here. So um, you're welcome to call me, and I would be happy to provide you with the resources that that I have found helpful. Um, you know, and it says, you know, be quick to see where religious people are right and make use of what they offer. I mean, the most miraculous part of this program is, you know, I grew up um, a Roman Catholic, and um, today my life is surrounded by people of different religions, and, and I do nothing but see where they're so right. I've learned so much from different religions, you know, and, and, and integrated beliefs and systems into my, my own personal practice. So really expanding on that um, as the result of the steps is great for me. Um, so, yeah, I'd be happy to chat with you more about that and provide anyone with more resources that I have found helpful. But, again, that's just my personal experience, and it's not in the book, so I'd rather not um, get too off topic at uh, this point. So please call me. Thank you, Sandy, for the question. And Lisa, please. Yes, hi. Thank you so much for your qualification. And could you give me, like, a concrete example of how you did a turnaround with your landlord? With my who? With your landlord. I'm sorry, I'm missing. Who is it? With your landlord. Oh, my landlord. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay, yeah, I can, I'll do, let's see what else, okay. So I'm resentful at, um, we'll call him Tony, that's not his name. So I'm resentful at Tony, the cause. Every time I see him, he lectures me about the trash can every time. Affects my self-esteem, so how I feel about myself, I'm telling myself that it's personal, um, my security um, makes me feel insecure. My ambition, probably not. My personal relations, yeah, I'm immediately defensive if I'm harboring this resentment. And it causes me fear, like maybe there's something wrong with me. So where am I selfish? I want, I want Tony to follow my social script. I want him to praise me and love me without regard to his wants, needs, or capabilities. Where am I dishonest? So what's the lie I'm telling myself? that I'm a victim, that Tony's singling me out, that he shouldn't be saying anything and that he should go away. Um, what's the truth? He's the landlord. I'm his, his uh, lessee. He's allowed to tell me what he wants to tell me about taking care of his not my property. I'm taking his tone personally and acting like a victim. What am I doing? What's my self-seeking behavior? I'm pissy in my head. I character assassinate. I judge him. You know, the whole Fatty McFaster, horrible, not God-filled ways of thinking about him. Um, And uh, I I act like a victim. Um, And what am I afraid of? I'm just, I'm afraid of his opinion of me. I'm afraid that I'm wrong. Um, And a lot of times, 
what I'll do then um, is I'll do a fear turnaround. So first time I had this fear, so other people's opinions. You know, I was a little girl. How do I perpetuate it? I look for other people that tell me I'm okay. I look for other people, you know, the way people are looking at me. And um, I take their temperature all the time and look for them to make me feel okay, right? And what would be different if I trusted and relied on God? I would realize that I am as God created me. And it doesn't, and I don't know what other people think of me. It's not my business what other people think of me. I can't control what other people think of me. And I'm okay. You know, as long as I am living with the principles, meaning the stuff of this program, practicing kindliness, patience, tolerance, and love towards all, I am okay. Um, you know, and I pray for him. I pray for him all the time. And, and the best turnaround the other day was realizing how I am like him. He's a stalker. I'm a stalker. He's stalking me. I'm stalking my neighbors. It's hysterical. So now I pray for him every night. So I hope that helps. Thank you very much, Lisa, for the question. Anyone else? Becca W. Go right ahead. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Lisa. Hello? Yes, go ahead, Rebecca. Okay, I'm sorry. Thank you, Katie, so much for uh, being willing to share and your openness um, in many of uh, many parts of your story. I really related. Um, at one point, you said you don't recognize the woman you are today, and um, I can really relate to that because my life too is extremely different um, as I've been going through my recovery as it was when I was um, younger, and I wanted to get your perspective or please uh, share more on how you um, are settling in and uh, in real time understanding who you are today, that you're a different person versus when you think back and do you let your past come in? Do you acknowledge it and let it go? How do you deal with the difference of the two selves? Um Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, right? Like in the Step 5 Promises, it talks about how, um, like, we need to withhold nothing, right? Um, We can be alone in a perfect peace and ease. Um, And it talks about living the double life. Um, So I kind of hear that in in your question. Um, I allow my past to be, I I don't regret it. Um, it, it, It was who I was, and it's somebody that I'm, it's, um, I'm honest with people in my life about who I was and why I'm such a grateful person today. Um, I let it inform my decisions today. So, uh, you know, I use it through the step work. So you're, you'll hear me, um, you know, my fear of um, being too stupid, right, the first time I had the fear and then how, do, how did I perpetuate it? Like I can tell you how that fear eroded my entire life, you know, making decisions um, based on this perception that I'm too stupid. And so then, like, let's say I have a huge exam in grad school, right? Then the fear is coming up, being too stupid. I say, okay, well, you know what? I, I have a choice here, right? I can stay in bed. I can stay in bed and lick my wounds. But at the end of my life, do I want to be somebody who fails? 
or do I want to be somebody who regrets all the things I never tried? I want to be somebody who fails because when you fail, you succeed too, right? Um, so I celebrate the difference. I celebrate um, that, like, I want to live on my growing edge today. You know, like, I want to, I want to continue to grow every day. And so um, I am a, a different person, and I think it's a wonderful thing. And I allow, you know, the past to inform decisions that I make today. Um, and I am grateful, deeply grateful to not be in the throes of addiction today. I mean, it is just, I mean, my, I have a stepbrother who's currently um, drinking Purell um, because he's so alcoholic and he's dying from this disease and it's devastating. Um, and, you know, were I to pick up, uh, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't think, God, I, don't, I don't know what would happen, um, which is why I, I need to stay so committed to this program, just like all the women and men that I hear on this line every day who are so passionate because when you've been given this opportunity to live on borrowed time, you know, it's like I got to put a smile on my face every day, even when nothing's going my way. At the end of the day, the blessed fact is that I have a life today that's better than any that could that could have happened to me when I was eating and thought that the best thing that could happen to me was food or being thin or binging my brains out and being thin. You know, like that's a pretty narrow idea. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Becca W. And anyone else with a question this morning for KDG? Lonnie? I missed your name. I'm sorry. Sippy, do you hear me? Lonnie? Lonnie and then Sippy, please. Great. Thank you. Um, Hi, my name's Lonnie, um, recovering compulsive overeater in in South Florida. Uh, You talked a lot about fear today, and and you also, I guess, related that to control. Um, Fear is something that I mean, is a thread that seems to be in my 11th step at night all the time. Um, And I'm just wondering what I can do about it, you know. And um, listening to you talk about the turnaround today is uh, something new for me. Um, I think when I do an 11th step that I am looking at the resentment and like in a 10-step kind of thing, looking at where am I selfish, dishonest, and afraid, and I'm seeing the fear all the time, you know, but yet I, I still feel stuck in that I'm not taking action on it or perhaps doing what I need to do to really turn it around. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to say that um, I'm not the depressive addict. <laughs> I'm like the hyperfunctional, fearful one. So. I'm sure you all know that very well because you know me. <laughs> so I can really relate. Um, and I was devastated by the fear part of my fourth step. Devastated. Because, like, I'm like, I'm 30 something and I've never be, made a decision that wasn't entirely based on fear. Um, so I guess for me today, fear, having fear is something I'm just more comfortable with. Um, and I don't, 
like I know that people say, if you have God, you don't have fear. That's not my experience. My experience is more I have fear and I know what to do with it and I relate to it differently. So what I mean by that is this. So um, I do do a fear turnaround whenever I have a fear. I'm also not, like, for a long time I did very specific fears. Like, I'm afraid that this person is going to walk into my house again and tell me the same thing. What I have learned, you know, from going to my meetings um, over time is that there are really only so many fears, right? Fear of not getting what I want, losing what I have, rejection, abandon, uh, well, I guess rejection and abandonment are similar. Um, so there are only so many fears. So if I can keep it more general, then I can say to myself, okay, Katie, when's the first time you had a fear? And I don't mean like a therapy version of, you know, when I was two and blah, 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 but just like, and not, excuse me, I didn't mean to disparage therapy. What I meant by therapy was like a really long diary entry about the first time you had the fear. I just mean like quick, like, yeah, when I was two and this happened. And then how am I, how am I trying to control it as opposed to going to God? And I get very specific as relevant to whatever fear it is. So like if I'm afraid that I'm going to fail a test, uh, for example, or fear of failure. So how am I perpetuating it? I'm emailing my professor. When she doesn't email me back, I'm emailing her again. I'm going to her office hours. I'm asking her to give me, make an exception because I'm KDG and I deserve special treatment. Um, you know, I'm not showing up to her class. I'm judging her, calling her whatever horrible names as opposed to going to God. And then I ask myself, what would be different if I trusted and relied on God? And I talk specifically, what are the actions that I'm going to take? I'm going to show up to class. I'm going to pray for her. I'm going to be in the moment. I'm going to take more quiet time. So that's my first suggestion. My second suggestion is to go back to six and seven. Because what I've learned from doing step 10 during the day and step 11 at night, that step six and seven, those are our defects of character, right? And um, there's a lot, there's some... um, a literature, um, and and there's a book actually on step six and seven that I'd be happy to share with you about offline that t- really delves into what's going on with that character defect of fear and how to handle it on a daily basis. So, I mean, I, I feel like the more resources I can use, the better. Um, so um, looking at step six and seven, asking God to remove it, and then, you know, doing it anyway. Like, if my fear is taking the test, I show up anyway, right? Or if my fear is having a relationship, I show up anyway. If my fear is talking on a Vision for You meeting on Sunday morning, I ask God for help and show up anyway. If my fear is your opinion, other's opinion, you know, I, 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 I get out of their head, you know? Um, and also asking other people to be accountable to. I have, I've never regretted making calls and sharing my turnarounds with any of you. I mean, I've gotten so much insight on how others handle their defects of character. Um, but a lot of it is about, like, right relating with that fear and realizing fear is just, I, I'm just not looking to God and I'm trying to control. And I may understand that, but that's not going to remove the fear. But, um, you know, I ask God to remove the fear and direct my attention to what he would have me be. And he wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. It says that on page, like, 100, and one of the big book experts, I'm sure, knows better than me, but it's, like, 103. God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. Um, And helping others. Um, I find that, you know, excessive focus on myself is not always the answer. Like, sometimes the answer is doing 
most of the time, all the time, the book says. The answer is doing a turnaround and then calling someone else and asking how they are. So I hope that helps. And I'd be, I'm always happy to go over people's, you know, turnarounds if, you know, if they need a buddy or whatever. I, I love doing this kind of stuff. Thank you, Lonnie, for the question. And our last question for this morning comes from Tippy. Go ahead, Tippy, please. You hear me? Yes. Yeah, hi. Okay, thank you, Katie. That was amazing. What I really am interested in is you said you made yourself a form for the evening thing when you write, um, you know, all those questions in the book. Is that a form that you can email to us? Yeah, and um, let me just uh, clarify my egotistical blunder. It's a it's a form that actually was compiled by a bunch of women in AA uh-huh. <laughs> around Boston. Yeah, so, so if no, I said it was my form, I was wrong. But uh, I am always happy to send right. that out. And I'm uh-huh. also happy, um, as, as, as many of you know, I'm happy if people want to send me their 11 steps and and talk through it about what's going on. I mean, this this is this this turn this idea of doing the turnarounds. I mean, it's where I have it's where I continue to find the most freedom, um, and and I want that freedom because otherwise my thinking gets so bad that eating starts sounding good, and I don't ever want to eat again. Right? Like the fear is on me, and I don't know what else to do. So I want so you know that uh, it's really vital, and um, I'm totally happy. I can I can actually give out my email address too. Um, it's uh, K A T, so the word cat, but with a K, and then G is in George, E as in elephant, H as in house, A as in apple, so catjiha at yahoo.com. And if you just email me, and in the title, the email says, "Please send me the 11 step form." I'll send that to you. Thank you very much, everyone, for your questions this morning. And, of course, thank you so much, Katie, for sharing with us your beautiful transformation. Can you get Katie's phone number again? I will give that to you, that number for Katie, 413-237-5758. And again, Katie, thank you very much for your time this morning and sharing with us your results uh, of the 12-step program of recovery, your beautiful transformation. Thank you. And I'm going to close up the meeting. Our pleasure. I'm going to close up the meeting this morning from page 164 in the chapter entitled A Vision for You. And it goes as follows. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us 
as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.